Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. But we're in a message theme um, called heaven, or here as in heaven. I'll get it right eventually. But here as in heaven, and it is all about the narrative, really, that our life is about. We are uh, in this place, we are Christ followers, if you are in the room, uh, because heaven came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for us so that we could be one and intimate and close with God. But he didn't just come and die. His resurrection life is actually the model of life that he has called us into and empowered us into. And it is a life that brings heaven everywhere we go. It is, uh, we are called, yes, to be nice people, but not just nice people. We are called not just to be helpful people, though we're helpful people. We're actually called to bring transformation to culture, to politics, to family, to uh, social status or socioeconomic areas. It is no matter where we are, what world we find ourselves in, we're actually called not just to be there, but to actually bring transformation in it, to see here as in heaven. It's bringing the realities of heaven, the peace of heaven, into the realities that we foresee uh, or see around us. And this is the call, this is the plan that God has um, for the world. The mission is the same, it always has been the same, and we in our 2022 are just jumping on God's mission, God's existing family business that we are welcomed into. And it's just a pleasure to be a part of this and speaking about it. And uh, we are going to actually lean into one particular narrative uh, today and tonight, because I've got a part one and a part two coming to you tonight. Um, today we are talking about the, the who I am and am I enough to actually call and follow what God's mission is calling out of me. And tonight we're lifting out this sort of idea of how am I able, what are the tools that God actually has for you to walk into that call and walk in and see heaven come to your world around you. But we are going to lean into the web. We're going to be in Exodus. We're going to be talking about my man Moses. I say that like I know him, he's just a guy, but <laughs> just a guy, but I want to, we'll be in Exodus 3, but before we get there, let's, let's lay like 30 seconds of foundation. We are coming on the back, Moses is 80 years old at this point of time, and his 80-year-old is split into two significant 40-year-old periods of, of different times in his life. The first 40-year-old period is very interesting because it was in Egypt. It is in the place that he is about to be called into. And he, as a, as a Hebrew, is, he is probably one of the few Hebrew males his age because he is one of the few survivors of a generational genocide performed by the king of Egypt. He is being called out from birth. His mother hid him away and uh, preserved his life because she felt and she knew that there was something on this child's life. And there was elaborate plan, there was some water and reeds and stuff involved, but essentially he finds himself as the adopted child of the princess. 
of, of, uh, of the daughter of the man who commanded his death. He finds himself in her household. He would get an Egyptian education. And somehow, somehow, what is that? <laughs> we find he, during that 40-year period that he spent in Egypt, we don't know when it, the Bible doesn't say a lot about this, but he has discovered that he is a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. We're not sure. Maybe it was. Maybe they looked different. Maybe they, there was something about him in a in a sort of a, a physical stature sort of way. But somehow he knew that he was a Hebrew, and that he was in the right position to actually be sent to liberate his fellow Hebrews, the fellow Israelites. And so he has developed this idea. We don't know where from, but there's essentially there is a call on his life. And he is about to step into some good stuff. But then when he starts to operate in that calling, he screws it up real quick, real fast. And in the form of he goes out to visit his Hebrew friends. Hey, guys, you're a slave. I'm not. Let's do something about this. And he comes along. His, it's his, his Hebrew brother. And we're not sure whether it's his blood brother or just brother from another mother. And... Uh, He's getting beaten by an Egyptian slave master. And Moses, in his wisdom and his sense of calling, decides that I'm going to look left and right and I'm going to kill the Egyptian, hide his body, because murder seems to be the most effective way of following God. That is all tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Do not take it. <laughs> and uh, actually, I'll just pause there. I've got to say that God is moving in prisons. Do you know that? God is doing some good things. I follow some Instagram pages where God um, is moving. called God behind bars. Talk to Pastor Dan in his visits to prison. There's things moving in prisons, and God is alive in His power for in our time right now. And uh, but Moses doesn't get thrown in prison. He gets obviously rightly accused of murder and driven away from his hometown into the desert at the age of 40. He then becomes a shepherd boy on shepherd man. He's 40, so. <laughs> he becomes a shepherd man, gets married, and he's been shepherding for essentially 40 years, and he enters the scene here. He sees a burning bush, he approaches the burning bush, and God encounters him and has a moment with him. And this is where we're picking up. He's got all this history. Exodus 3, verses 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and new spacious land. Jumping down to verse 10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of uh, my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I love how God says, I have come down to rescue them, and then looks at Moses and said, therefore, you go. Verse 11, but Moses said, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will come and worship in this very spot. Quick story is uh, about six years ago when I was in the midst of my tertiary education, all that sort of stuff, I decided I'd go on a study exchange. And uh, back when international travel was a thing, 
Remember those days, good times. Um, you see other places in the world. And so we, I decided I would go and spend six months over in Denmark, studying over in Denmark. And uh, my last name is Jensen, over there it's actually Jensen, so that was confusing to them. Um, but during my time there, we decided with a couple of mates to, when in Denmark, go to Norway. And so we decided to go hiking in northern Norway, which sounds and is good as it sounds. Um, we went out into a place called the Lofoten, Lofoten Islands, and uh, it's pretty much an archipelago. It's insane. It's awesome. And it's really as crazy as the photos say. But we decided to hike a particular uh, route, and it's the mountain of, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's all good. You're Australian, so you don't know how to say it. Reinenblingen. Um, <laughs> And it is, it's not actually a massive hike to get to the initial summit. It's about, it might sound, it's about a, a one to two hour round trip, which in terms of mountains there isn't crazy. But when you get to the summit after about 45 to an hour and you're trying to eat, eat an apple in like one degree, mm, yeah, <laughs> gloves are important. Um, you decide that, hey, as, as young guys, we would like to extend our trip and do a bit of adventuring, off the path adventuring at a, 50, kilom oh, 50 meters vertical. And so we, there was a bit of a route and there's this, like these ridges where you would walk across and it was like, if I slipped right, I die. If I slip left, I also die. <laughs> and so it's at this point in time that I learned something very important about myself is I'm terrified of heights when death is inevitable. And uh, I think it's logical. <laughs> but we're, we're on this thing and my mates with me weren't all the smartest and they decided, hey, look at that really large rock. Let's see if we can throw it off the edge of the cliff. And if you've ever lifted and like hold anything of significant weight, you'll know that there's a, there's a bit of follow through. Like you can't just be like, no, they, you like you sort of lean and sort of go with it a little bit. And they started hurling these large stones off this face. And I just, I'm like, guys, your blood is on your own hands. Like, I'm, I wash my, my hands of this craziness and I'm going to go and sit over there facing away from you. Um, but then we came to a particular little cliff face and uh, it was also another case of slip and die. And they scurried up like it was nothing, but there wasn't great handholds because I'm not a rock climber. And I find myself confronted with this fear that is in me because of what is before me. And in this story, we see that when Moses is confronted with what God is calling him to, that he is actually confronted with something and it is his personal inadequacies inadequacies, his personal inabilities, and his sense of, I've tried this before and it failed. God, who am I that I should go and do this? And it's this question of who am I is actually a really important question because God in his grace does not shame Moses for asking the question. You notice that Moses goes on to ask some perpetual questions and stuff. Only at the last one does God get a little bit frustrated. Uh, but the first few, he's like, no, this is a reasonable question. Let's talk about who you are and what gives you the authority or the right to actually go and represent and bring these people out of Egypt. 
And I would like to point out in this, in this narrative that we're going to talk about today that it's, it's not actually about you, it's about who is with you. It's not actually about your personal inadequacies. It's actually about God's abilities. It's not about whether you can speak or not. It's about the creator who has made you be able to go forth and do what he has called you to do. And our calling as people of Christ is that we are God's plan. As we, we talked about here, when God sends help, he sends people. People are the plan. You are God's plan for your family. You are God's plan for your workplace. You are God's plan for your university. You are God's plan for your family, for your marriage, for your relationships. You are the plan. You, you know how we, we often see things on news and we're like, man, we wish someone would do something about that. That's your problem. God's calling you to be the answer. He has put his spirit in you and he has called you just like Moses saying, go and bring heaven to earth. In first, Second Corinthians 5, it says this, we're down at verses 20, it says, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that, so that we could become the righteousness of God. We are Christ's ambassadors. Over on my trip into Denmark, it became very apparent that uh, even though my last name is Danish, that I'm very Australian because I don't speak the language. I actually look Danish, so it's funny to them. Um, so they would come up to me and start speaking in Danish, and I'd be like, sorry, mate. Um, <laughs> you'd purposefully put more on an accent just to feel better about your inadequacies of being monolinguistic. Uh, <laughs> but I was from Australia representing Australia in a foreign land. That is what an ambassador does. In, in Scripture, it says that we are actually citizens of heaven. Though you are here and now, your citizen is, citizenship is not in Redcliffe. It is not according to your postcode. It is not according to your skin color or what accent you speak here. You are actually identified first and foremost as a citizen of heaven. So your reality and your mission and your purpose on earth as people is the, are the plan is to represent the core values, the heavenly interests, and to speak with the accent and the tone of heaven. When you walk around and you're having conversations with friends, your speech is different. We don't drop things like other people drop things. We're not angry like other people are angry because we're actually speaking through the lens of our accent of heaven is around us. And we drop heaven words like we drop Australian slang and no one knows what we're talking about. We drop heaven words in order to see what happens and people are the plan this is our reality but in the sense that who am i to be this sort of person because i don't know about you but as soon as i get asked to do something i'm like i'm already got like 20 reasons in my mental list of why not <laughs> i'm sorry hey can you come help out sorry i don't have time um i need to work uh i'm unavailable uh my legs are sore from my run last week. 
Or if you get asked to do something maybe a little bit beyond the usual thing, hey, can you come on and do this particular role at work? Well, I don't feel qualified. Well, that, that requires more of me than I've ever had before. Well, I've, I'm not a good public speaker. That might require public speaking. I've never worked with a team before, and we're so quick to list our reasons. I know we, we have, just as an example, we have many people who have come through and done internship that before internship, they read pretty much the exact same narrative. I didn't think I was able to, so I said yes, and it sort of happened. My boss gave me time off. Uh, money worked itself out. Someone dropped me a check of two grand. Like, pe check? People use checks? No. <laughs> um, but essentially, we are so quick to list the reasons why not that when we come to this question of who am I and what is my authority, it's not about who we are, but it's about who is with us. God, God speaks to Moses and the, the assurance that he is, is he doesn't rebuke Moses or disagree with him. So as Moses says, who am I? The guy goes, God doesn't go, you're all good, mate. You'll work it out. He's like, no, nah, 100%, you can't do this in your own strength. Do we need to rewind 40 years and see how that went? I, <laughs> like the, our life as Christ followers and the, the ministry of reconciliation, this ambassadorship that we are co-laboring with Christ with, it is impossible in our own strength. You know that weight that you feel when you're in over your head? That's the weight and that's the lifestyle of a Christ follower because we are constantly out of our depth because we are having to rely on the Spirit of God and what He is doing through us, He is doing in our world around us. We feel just like, God, if you don't come through, we're screwed. Like there's this reality of we're dependent on Him. There's this spiritual require or this spiritual dependency that we're saying, God, please help. Because we don't need Jesus just as our Savior, because we can't get rid of sin without Him. We need Him as our Lord. We need to come under Him. We need the Spirit guiding us and ministering us every day. Every day when we wake up and feel too afraid to go and lead that way, or we just feel like we don't have the energy, or we feel overwhelmed by all the pulls and the twos and the comings and the goings of our life, that we just need to go, Jesus, please help me. There's this sense that it's not about our inadequacies or our inabilities, but it's actually about God who chose you and commissioned you for this very thing. Because I tell you what, our world needs Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. When Jesus said uh, to his disciples, all, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the harvest is a few. How convicting and confronting is that? As I drive home on a Friday night after having an awesome night, I drive home young people who are on the streets still, walking home or doing whatever I'm going, there's still more people. I just, yeah, we had a great night, but there's still more people. The school across the road is still known for things, and the culture is still known for things that are not of heaven. Our world needs Jesus. We all still have family members that don't know the love of God. They need Jesus. People are the plan. We are the plan. And we just, there's this sense of we need to forfeit our right to, to look at ourselves and we need to lift our, Jesus, our, our eyes off ourselves onto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
He is more than able. He is, um, to the scripture, he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. He is calling us out because our world needs hope. As Talia said, the local church is the hope of the world. You are the local church. You carry the hope of the world in your very mouth, in your very actions, in the way you talk to people. It is crazy and it's very heavy, but it's this confrontation that we realize that it's actually about God, not about my inabilities. You know, actually, in high school, I couldn't speak. Ironic. <laughs> English was my worst subject by far. I'm a natural, like, maths comes way more naturally to me. And so doing uh, public speaking of any nature, I wouldn't even be able to read my palm cards because my hand was shaking so much. I'd be like on font 24 and I still couldn't read it. <laughs> but it's funny how that when we walk with God, that some apparently the things of restrictions, the inabilities that we used to criteria and list before us actually just fall into alignment. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> We're just pulling. We're pulling from everywhere. <laughs> Joshua 1 verses 6 to 9 says this be courageous or strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land this is this is the person who took on from Moses took on the leadership be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you and do not turn from it left or right that you may be successful wherever you go that's a good promise right there. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Verses 9. I love this, I love this verse because it's, it's just proof in the pudding. Have I not commanded you? It's not on our authority or our ability, but it's on the one who calls us. When he calls us, he actually qualifies us. And it's only the call of God that we need to move forward. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for your Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go. And even in the midst of confrontation with past experience in the same way that Moses had, he tried to free the people. He had real, justified, founded objections to what God was saying. We get our own founded, well-rounded objections to what God is asking us to do. Man, I can't read 24 font. How am I supposed to lead young people from a platform? Or how am I supposed to lead a family when I've never seen a, a good father in my, as my role model? Or I, I don't know what it looks like to, to lead well as a manager because I've never had a good manager. Or maybe it's I've tried to lead my, my family well, but I just don't know how to lead prayer or I don't need to know how to lead them in, in, in guidance around the Word of God. It's, it, it's, it's not about the previous experience. We need to take that previous experience and submit it in underneath the authority of God. It's not our ability, it's His authority. And don't let the, the, the fears and even the recollection of previous experience rob you or rob others of what God has for you. Because you could be the only Jesus representative someone ever sees. You might be the only heaven ambassador that someone ever encounters. 
And it's, it's heavy, but it's also light because it's the family business. It's all of us in it together. It is not just me. It is not just you. It is all of us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are bearing this together. So even if you don't feel like it all the time, even if you do find yourself pushed back and feeling oppressed by previous experience or fear, it's all good. Someone is with you to encourage you and to, to lift your faith to the place where you're like, no, nah, I'm back on track. I'm back on track. I love the story of Moses too, because it always so tells me this, that call, even called people fail. I, I, as I said, I did some extended study and uh, I was quite studious in school and did well. And then actually I uh, went into engineering, which just, as I said, was mathematical heaven for me. And uh, decided six months into it, though I'm good at this, I don't want to do this. Train, changed to another degree that had nothing to do with mathematics. I was like, what? Uh, there's other things. I love with engineering, it's like, get it right or the structure falls down. Um, <laughs> but I went into to studies with ministry and it's more about essays, it's more about thought and putting together different things and support and so unnatural to me. And during that time, I also transitioned from living in Noosa um, and living in Brisbane at the same time. Uh, and I moved full-time down to South Brisbane, and so I didn't have any friends. Um, I lost all contact with, continual contact with my family. And I found myself with all of my support network cut out from underneath me that I started to fail on these subjects that I thought I was really good at. And immediately, this became a reflection on my integrity in my own mind saying, I didn't fail, I am the failure. But then I, I was catching up with a mate who was, um, I was in study with, it's actually Pastor Josh Pello from Kingdom Hope, what a win. Um, and he said, mate, failure is not a reflection of your integrity. And he said, uh, failure is an event, not a person. And as soon as we understand that, that we are not our failures, we're actually liberated to go, well, if failure isn't this big boulder that gets in my way and I hit my head up against every time I try and do something, it becomes just another stone in the pathway that I'm walking with God on. And you go, yeah, I fail. I fail. Sometimes at youth, you walk away and you're like, that night sucked. <laughs> I'm so thankful for the short-term memory loss of young people sometimes. <laughs> but then the week next week, a young person comes up to you and says, man, last week absolutely rocked me and changed my life. And you're like, I'm sorry, were you, you, were, you were at the same night that I was? Did you hear what I said? Because, okay. Or have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're like, you have in your mind what's going to happen. You're going to invite them to somewhere and this is going to happen. And man, revival's going to break out. I'm going to pray for them. Their leg's going to heal. They're not even broken. Um, <laughs> and you have, you're going to have a moment, you know, like this super spiritual moment. But then you, you get in conversation and you walk away going, that was nothing like what I expected. Like we talked about, cars or something like that and you're like that that wasn't what my expectation was but then you meet them a week later and then suddenly they're bringing something to you saying hey I just so thank you that you listened to me the other day and you're like were you in the same conversation I was in because we we write our failures quote unquote as our future but no failure is just another path for us to walk on it's just another step in the stone 
and even cold people fail sometimes. So I assure you, you will follow God, you will be carrying the Spirit of God, and you will try some things that absolutely slump. But it's okay, because God is able to reach out and fill in our inadequacies, because it's not about us, it's about who is with us. It's about walking with Him, it's about seeing His mission, His Spirit do the work, we're just ambassadors. It's, a, it's this rocking up sense, it's, I'm just here, Jesus, would you use me? I'm an empty vessel for what you've got, God. And Paul says that we are like clay empty vessels filled with precious gold, precious treasure, and it's just our job to hold it and say, God, okay, I'm going to go where you send me. Last point, as the band's already joined me, is how do you know that God is with you? And in the scripture, we see here that in verses 12 says, God, I will, God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I'm not sure about you, but that's sort of like going to the bank for a loan and them saying, please give me a guarantee that you'll be able to repay it. And you say, I will repay it. And here's my guarantee when I give you money. Like there's no sense of like, well, well, what's your cash flow like now? Can you give me a deposit? So, no, my guarantee for your payment is that I will pay you. And you're like, I'm sorry, God, did you just say that you'll be with me when I'm finished? Yeah. And here's the truth of it. How do you know that God is with you? You just have to start the walk. You just have to start the walk. He, he objects and saying, well, God, how do I know? No, you just need to start the walk. And what is God calling you to? Well, you just need to, God is with me. No, I believe that he is. I'm just going to start the walk. The miracles and the freedom of the Israelites didn't start at the burning bush. It started in Egypt and he had to get there. He had to trust God. He had to take the step. You know, faith is the act of committing before there's absolute clarity. It's like, God, I'm, I don't know about this job or I don't know about this path or I don't know about this opportunity. And you're saying, well, do you have peace around it? If so, you don't need absolute clarity because God is calling you and he'll iron out the details later. You know how we say that faith is blind or the, the, that idea? No, faith isn't blind. It just sees further than circumstance. It sees beyond it so that when that faith is, or hope being an anchor for our soul can see things that don't exist yet unseen things where it's like God is going to do something. I know it. How do you know? I'll tell you when I get there. There's this faith, this sense of stepping out. And I think that's what I want to encourage us all around from, from this scripture is what do you need to take a step in? What do you need to start walking in now? What has God put on your spirit now? that maybe you feel hazy about, maybe you feel unsure about, maybe you're like, you're putting the list together of all the why nots, and he's saying, it's okay, I'll be with you. What do you just need to have a go at? If it fails, it's okay. It's okay, it's just another step, it's just another stone, but God is with you and people will see the transformation power of Jesus Christ through your life. Because when we say yes, we're just walking with Jesus. It's not about who we are, but it's about who He is.